Hello, and welcome to Schick Talk, a podcast presented by the Swine Health Information Center. The mission of Schick is to protect and enhance the health of the U.S. swine herd through coordinated global disease monitoring, targeted research investments, and analysis of swine health data. The purpose of this podcast is to share the information that we gather from experts throughout our industry. I'm Barb Detterman, your host for Schick Talk, and today's guest is Dr. Clayton Johnson, Director of Vet Services of Carthage Vet Service. And our subject is biosecurity. Okay, Dr. Johnson, we need to visit about biosecurity. We know there are so many things coming at producers. What can we do? Well, Barb, uh, first of all, thanks for for having me on the podcast here. And um, I I love the name Schick Talk, um, but I'm I'm nervous to use the name. You got through that very good, but I can see how I get in my trouble if I say that too many times. So I'll I'll try and stick to the the topic of biosecurity here at hand. Um, You know, I think uh, the first thing we have to understand about biosecurity, Barb, is that every farm has a unique set of risks associated with it. Um, Even farms that are in the same system, they've got different designs, they've got different uh, health statuses currently, they've got different ways they manage manure and mortalities and visitors and all those things. So I think the one universal thing that we can all do is to critically evaluate our current biosecurity infrastructure and try and identify areas where we maybe don't have as robust of a biosecurity plan for one specific risk factor as compared to the rest of our program. The the diseases don't care how they get into our farms, okay? And so um, as a result, it really just takes one gap in our program or the the rate limiting stave on the barrel. You hear hear that with lysine and amino acids, you know, the, the, the rate limiting step. Well, biosecurity's got one of those on our farm too. And for our farm that may be transport biosecurity, That could be the design of our showers. That could be um, our use of the benches. Uh, There are many different uh, things that can be that kind of short stave on our barrel of biosecurity. The first one that lets the disease rush into the farm. But I think the one universal thing that we can do is to evaluate our farms and look for that opportunity. Biosecurity's got the most value, Barb, when we have equal levels of investment across our risk factor meaning that we don't necessarily need 10 out of 10 biosecurity at every risk factor. But what we don't want to do is invest, you know, oftentimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to make one risk factor extremely well managed and still have an open door somewhere else. Um, So a classic example I would give you, Barb, is, you know, don't go to all the work to filter your farm if you're still going to render your mortalities. You know what I'm saying? You want to kind of have equal levels of investment. And if you're rendering your mortalities, you know, that's something that is going to be very, very high risk. And if that's the only thing you're doing that's high risk, that's the first thing that we should address on your specific farm. But I think the most important thing for all of us to understand is that where we need to improve is going to be different from farm to farm even within a big production system. It's not gonna be a one size fits all improvement that's perfect for every farm. So what we can all do is look at our farms and and get oftentimes a a third party perspective, right? Somebody who doesn't come to our farm every day and somebody who can kind of point out some of the gaps that they see in, in either our plans or the execution of our plans. 
and then put together a plan for what is our rate limiting stave on the barrel. You know, what's our version of lysine in the biosecurity program? What's the weakest link in our chain that we need to address so that we have those equal levels of investment in every link of our biosecurity chain? And if you are a producer who sits there and looks at everything and goes, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. How do we find that third party person? Is it your herd vet? Is it someone totally different? Where, where do we look for that third party person? Yep. Um, I think that uh, you can get feedback from anywhere, uh, but obviously I would expect the veterinarian to be the person who comes to your farm, who, who has got the most insight into biosecurity and is probably going to have the best ideas on where your opportunities lie. Um, and I think that uh, for your veterinarian that you use regularly, it's incumbent upon their role that they evaluate biosecurity every time they come to your farm. Um, there's a saying that I love, Barb, in sports, that what you don't coach, you condone. And what I mean by that is no matter what I came to the farm for, Barb, uh, if I see a biosecurity gap, I'm going to bring it up because I know the farm knows that I saw it, right? And if I don't say anything about it, they're gonna take from that, well, you know, Doc saw us doing this or Doc saw that setup and he didn't say anything, so it must be okay. Um, not to say that I'm gonna, you know, beat my hand on the table in the office and say, we've got to <laughs> fix this, but I need to highlight it as a gap. I need to highlight it as an opportunity. And that's every visit. And obviously some of my visits, I'm gonna have a more in-depth biosecurity audit. And I typically will do that uh, about twice a year. And I say me, but that's really something that we do in the Carthage system. We try to do a biosecurity audit as we're going into the winter. Uh, and then again, as we're kind of coming into the spring months, uh, and that's when we see the highest risk times for biosecurity breakdowns. So that's why we try to time those, you know, more intense biosecurity audits and maybe a visit that is just the purpose of a biosecurity audit. We're not doing any training on treating sick pigs. We're not reviewing the vaccine schedule. We're just focused on biosecurity in those, those particular visits. But I would not discount, Barb, uh, getting a third party opinion every once in a while. Uh, that could be a, another veterinarian. That could also just be somebody who's got a lot of experience in the pig industry uh, to give you a fresh set of, your, of eyes. Um, I, as the veterinarian, can become barn blind to things just like you as a producer can. Um, and so that's where I think the third set of a third, third party set of eyes can sometimes be of value. Um, I'd say it kind of depends on, on uh, what you're looking for and, and how many opportunities you've identified with your regular biosecurity audits from your regular vet. If your regular audits from your regular vet have a, a nice long list of stuff to work on, you probably don't need a, a more in-depth audit. But if you're having disease outbreaks and you want to make biosecurity better, and you and your regular vet are really kind of scratching your head and pulling your hair out trying to find that next opportunity, that's the time to invite a, another person in. Um, and, you know, that uh, can be any number of qualified veterinarians that are out there. Um, consulting vets are fewer and fewer. You know, we see as, as, as consolidation happens in the industry, most big integrators want to hire their own veterinarians. They want their own veterinarians on staff reporting up through their chain of command. Um, and you're obviously not going to get access to those folks, but there are still some consulting vets out there, uh, whether it's, you know, working for Carthage or any other independent vet clinic that you can reach out to to do those services. 
So let's say as a producer, I know that there's some gaps I need to be working on. And I know that, you know, African swine fever, everybody's talking about that and mm-hmm. the new PERS strain. How do you express to a producer and how does that producer ask you, where's our priorities? And do we worry more about the latest PERS strain or ASF or will these biosecurity steps address for animal diseases as well as as domestic or, you know, how do we put this all together, Clayton? That's a great question. And I'm not going to have a perfect answer because the reality is you just, you can't have a perfect answer. Um, None of us can predict the future on what's the next pathogen that's going to show up in my farm or in my region. Um, We can make some informed guesses on what that is. And obviously, you know, our domestic diseases are much more likely to show up at our farms than a foreign animal disease like ASF. So the way I typically think about that, Barb, is I'm going to fight the enemy that I know is at the gates right now. So for me, that's the new variant PERS virus that's floating around. Um, We were really lucky in kind of the lower Midwest to to avoid that. You know, that was really kind of a a Minnesota, um, South Dakota uh, thing here um, earlier in the year. Uh, But as is always the case with the new PERS viruses, they make their way down to us eventually. Um, And so we're seeing it hot and heavy over the last six weeks in in the Midwest, um, where that new PERS variant is really working its way through the industry. So we'll typically, Barb, strive for biosecurity programs that will control the domestic diseases of biggest concern. And what I'll try to do when I'm setting those up is always keep one eye open to the foreign animal disease risk. And uh, fortunately, our biosecurity programs typically are pretty robust and pretty broad spectrum across pathogens. And what I mean by that is it's rare that I have to set up, um, you know, uh, uh, say a, a trailer washing program where I've got to use a specific disinfectant or a specific temperature and time on the baker, uh, the, the drying system for a disease that that maybe my foreign animal disease would need a different disinfectant or a different drying time and temperature than my domestic disease. So I'll keep one eye open to what do we know about ASF and what do we know about foot and mouth and all the other exotic diseases. And if I can set up the program to cover not only the domestic diseases, but also the the foreign animal diseases, then I'll, I'll certainly do that. Fortunately, um, most situations and most risk factors can be managed equally well, uh, whether it's a domestic disease or a foreign animal disease. So um, we'll typically set it up just for the domestic diseases with PERS being the biggest target right now, but also we got to worry about PED and mycoplasma and influenza and so on and so forth. Um, And then uh, if there ever is a situation where maybe we need, you know, to choose a specific disinfectant, um, then we'll, we'll, you know, consider, all right, well, um, let's choose one that is also going to be effective against the foreign animal diseases of concern, as well as the domestic diseases. But I would tell you that I can't think of any great examples where I think there's a, a big hole in a good biosecurity program today that's set up for the domestic diseases where it wouldn't address the vast majority of the concern with the foreign animal diseases as well. Very reassuring to a producer who reads about every, everything coming at them. That's reassuring to know that we're talking about all those things, but the big thing at the door is what we really need to worry about. So what are the general areas that you look at? And I know we could go on for hours here, but what's some general areas that you look at specifically 
and uh, when you're doing a biosecurity audit? Is there one area or four areas or 10 areas that a producer really needs to pay attention to? Great question. Um, and really, it's the areas, Barb, where anything comes in and out of the farm. Okay. Um, the first thing that I want to understand about the farm is the use of the clean, dirty lines. And specifically, does the farm understand the concept of the clean, dirty line? And Barb, I typically don't have to get past the bench or the showers to understand the answer to that question. Does the farm know what a clean, dirty line is and do they use it correctly? And where I say I don't have to get past the bench or past the shower to figure that out, at the bench, I'm looking for where are the shoes located and what direction are the shoes? Because you can typically tell by where the shoes are located and what direction they're facing, how someone was standing or sitting when they took their shoes off. So if those shoes are, you know, six feet away from the bench and they're facing towards the bench, meaning that I was clearly looking toward the bench when I took them off, I know that that farm suffers from a lack of understanding of what a clean and dirty line is. They're not using the bench correctly. They're basically just stepping over the bench, uh, but they're not taking their shoes off at the bench and using the bench as an opportunity to prevent their socks and their bare feet from touching the dirty side of that bench before they step onto the clean side. And the same thing with the showers. You peek inside the showers and you look for um, the personal items versus the farm items. So do I see farm towels that are on the dirty side? Do I see any personal items that are on the clean side? And again, if I see that, it just tells me that we need to start with education on that farm. Before we go into any sort of facility changes, we need to use the facility as it was designed correctly to start with. Because it doesn't matter what new tools and toys and fancy devices we put in the farm, if we don't, if we don't use them correctly, it's just a waste of money. So I want to understand the clean, dirty line management, and do we understand clean, dirty lines as a concept and execute it correctly? And um, if we do that, then we dive into the actual asset itself. And I will look at the entry area, Barb, and the ease of using it. So I mentioned the, you know, the shoe location and all that sort of stuff. If your bench is only two foot wide and it's basically the size, you know, that, that one butt can sit on and take their shoes off at a time, that's okay if it's a finisher and there's only going to be two, maybe three people in the facility at any given time. But if that's a sow farm and you're trying to bring 20 people in through that kind of two foot gap, where does the 20th person put their shoes? right? I mean, that's not possible to use correctly. And I would say kind of the same thing with the shower setup. Is the shower a pass-through shower with clear, clean, and dirty lines um, that can be identified and respected? Or is the shower just stuck in the corner? And I'll pick on Wean to Finish Barns again. Is the shower just stuck in the corner of the office of a Wean to Finish Barn as an afterthought so that we could check the box and say, yep, doc, I got a shower, but there's no ability to really have a clean and dirty line, meaning that I've got to walk to the shower through the same path, the same cross traffic area that I'm going to walk out of the shower across. Okay. So I'll look for that in terms of our employee entry. I'll also look for some sort of a way in which I can bring in supplies like my lunch and any small things I need uh, at that same employee entry area. So do I have a UV chamber and is it set up correctly? Do I have the right type of bulbs in my UV chamber? Are there UVC bulbs with the appropriate wavelength? Uh, are the bulbs burnt out or do they actually work? 
Do I have reflective material in the chamber? So I'll check that area out. Maybe it's just a spray disinfectant that's available to spray things down, but I need something for supply entry at that location as well. And then once I get into the office, I'll ask about further supply entry. So most farms will have some place to bring in their bigger supply orders, especially a sow farm. They'll often have a room that's dedicated just for the monthly supply delivery to come in. And I'll look at that location and again say, all right, is this set up to where it's easy to use and appropriate? Um, if we're relying on a fogging machine, do we have the ability to spray all surfaces of all supplies we put into that room with the fogging machine? Uh, is the room temperature controlled? Maybe we just use it for, for uh, temperature controlled downtime. If so, what's the way we manage the temperature? How do we monitor that temperature? And how do we ensure that nobody gets in there during the, the quarantine period for the supplies before they come into farm? The other big things that I'm going to look at, Barb, are the animal entries and exits. So the, the load in and load out shoots. And again, I'm looking at those clean, dirty lines. Is it a clean, dirty line that's relatively easy to manage? Can I get pigs onto or off of a trailer without breaking the clean, dirty line between the driver or the trailer? And then I look at the same thing for our mortalities. Can I remove mortalities from the farm in a practical manner? without me crossing the clean and dirty line. And this is where we really like to have kind of an elevated platform to remove our mortality so that gravity can help take the animals across the clean and dirty line. Uh, one of the things that I'll often do, Barb, if I'm trying to convince somebody that they need to invest in a little better design for their mortality management is uh, I'll, go, I'll go lay down in front of a door. Um, and I, I'm a decent sized guy. I probably weigh about 215 pounds and I'll just lay down in front of the door and I'll tell the producer, I'll say, okay, drag me onto the other side of this door. I, I get me to the other side of this clean, dirty line, but you have to stay in this room. You can't go to the dirty side to drag me across. And quickly they figure out that even me at just 215 pounds, that's going to be a real chore to get me pushed across the door right, without them going onto the dirty side. And I weigh about half of what most of our sows are gonna weigh. So if you can't do it with me, you're for sure not gonna do it with a sow. The last thing that I'll look at, Barb, is the manure management. And, you know, obviously they're probably not gonna be pumping manure while I'm there, but I'm gonna ask questions about the manure management and understand the process so that I can understand how much risk occurs there. Um, I may not be able to see it during that visit, but I'm gonna ask enough questions that I can understand the process and see where that prioritizes in the overall risk portfolio. That's a great outline for uh, anyone to start with and uh, be able to look at those uh, glaring things that are in our face. One of the things that I have always wondered about when you're talking about as a producer and producers improving their biosecurity, do they need this documented? Do they have to have this written down somewhere? You know, that's a great question. And I think it is important to have written biosecurity plans. Um, every farm is different, obviously, and, and I go to farms that have nothing but, you know, 20-year employees on the farm, and those people could recite the biosecurity plan forward and backwards. They don't need a written plan because they've been living the written plan for decades. I get those situations, but I think we all know that those are few and far between, and even in those situations, you're going to have visitors, 
And that's a big thing to understand with biosecurity is that a lot of our breakdowns are not the people who work at the farm every day. It's somebody like me who's a visitor who shows up at the farm and doesn't know the rules. And that's where the written biosecurity plans can be very helpful is if I'm a visitor and I'm coming to your farm and you can just send me the SOP for people entry, how do I get into your farm in a biosecure manner? That goes a long way towards ensuring compliance. Because if you're just reliant on telling me the biosecurity plan, that means you're also reliant on me remembering the biosecurity plan. And I even take it a step further, Barb. Um, you know, what, what's the old saying? A picture is worth a thousand words and a video is <laughs> worth a thousand pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got videos for our, our Carthage system farms of the actual entry process into farms. So, you know, it's kind of hard to explain to somebody how to use a bench and to do that succinctly and to write that into a protocol. As simple of a, of a, of a process as that is, right, of taking your shoes off and kicking your feet over the bench, that's, you know, it's a page long protocol to write it all out, right. or it's a 15 second video that somebody watches and they instantly smile and nod and say, yep, I got that. And especially now where everybody has little video machines in their pocket called a cell phone, <laughs> we, you know, we can pull yeah. those videos up on demand. Um, I've got office uh, as an app on my phone and through that I can get to our biosecurity SharePoint site and I can pull up the video to look at it before I go into any farm. I can also direct those videos to anybody who's gonna be a visitor to our farm so that they can look at that on their way to the farm. So yeah, I do think the written biosecurity plans are, are critical and I'd even take it to another level. I think if you're an integrated production system and you're gonna have some turnover and some new employees and lots of visitors, Get those pictures and get those videos because people learn through that even better. And the last thing, Barb, I'd highlight is something I know you're well aware of, and that's the secure pork supply plans. You know, the state veterinarian is not going to just trust our biosecurity and our word. They're not going to know us. And at the end of the day, if we have a foreign animal disease outbreak, those state animal health officials, they are the ones who are going to determine, can we move our pigs? Can we bring feed to our pigs? Can we bring loading crews to our farms? And they're going to want a written biosecurity plan, hopefully that's consistent with the format of the secure pork supply plans. Mm -hmm. to approve that they're comfortable with the biosecurity at your site. So even if you don't think you need it for operational reasons, I would assure you, you're probably going to need it if and when we ever do have a foreign animal disease program. And so as a result, let's go ahead and get them written now. They're a lot easier to write now than they are when we're worried about ASF already being in the country. I can assure you that. Definitely. I've heard that from so many state animal health officials in the last six months. It's been like, okay, this is a wake up call. Let's get these written. One other quick question on that is with uh, COVID that we were talking about earlier, but also COVID and labor situation mm -hmm. on so many farms, are we finding having these plans, you know, how, like we said, we don't have the 20 year employees anymore, having these plans documented and the training behind them, how important is that with what we've learned in the last 18 months? Oh, man, we, you know, we've been in a labor crunch, Barb, since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I grew up, we, we never owned our own pigs, um, but dad always knew farmers that needed help. And I was always amazed at how much work I could get working with pigs because folks in my generation, the other kids in my class growing up, they didn't want to work with pigs. 
And that problem has just gotten worse with time. And we, uh, we have really become reliant since NAFTA on the, the immigrant visa program, the TN visa program we hear so much about. And that's really helped us as, you know, as folks domestically have decided that they don't wanna work on farms. That's helped us to backfill that with people that do wanna work on farms. We saw how fragile that program was over the last 18 months with COVID and border shutdowns. Um, and we've seen how even without COVID, right, trade wars um, can have a huge impact on immigration and foreign relations in general. And, you know, we, we need to come up with a system that's more robust for labor. We all know that. The reality is we don't have it right now. And so we're going to have some turnover on our farms. And that puts even more pressure on having those written protocols. If you've got written protocols, you can develop a training program to quickly onboard your new employees and turn those new employees into skilled employees that can do the tasks at the farm we need them to. And no matter what their job is at the farm, whether they're gonna be a breeder or you know somebody working in day one, or maybe just a power washer, they still need to know the basics of biosecurity, if nothing else, so they can get themselves in and out of the farm. So we do biosecurity uh, training as, as really one of the first parts of our onboarding program. And we've got videos, we've got on-farm practice that we do, all to make sure that you know how to take a shower correctly, that you know how to use the bench correctly. Um, and I do think that's absolutely critical now. It was critical before COVID and COVID has made it even more critical because of the turnover that we've seen. Well, Dr. Johnson, uh, I appreciate your time today. Is there any one last uh, statement or one last thought that you'd like to share with our listeners today about biosecurity and why it's important to our operations? Well, I would say, you know, first and foremost, Barb, biosecurity is a culture. And I know that term gets thrown a lot, around a lot and, and used too much. So I'll try to be specific about what I mean. Culture is what happens when no one's looking. You know, culture is what uh, a person or a team of people do when they don't feel like they're going to get caught uh, or they don't feel like there's someone supervising them that's got their eye right over them. Um, and, you know, that's ultimately what's going to be your outcomes at the farm. Um, you know, the, the breeding that you do when nobody's looking, that's going to be what your conception rate and farrowing rate end up being. And the same thing with biosecurity. So I think uh, it's important for all of us who get the opportunity to be leaders and, you know, uh, oversee people in production systems to make sure that we promote biosecurity and we highlight opportunities where they're seen. I also think it's important that we give ourselves as leaders jobs to help improve biosecurity on the farm. There will always be opportunities with execution where we find people that are not making good decisions on the execution of the existing SOPs. But we need to be just as open to those facility improvements that we can make to try and make it easier to comply with the SOPs. Right. Don't just check the box with your biosecurity. Don't because you heard somebody say a bench was good. Put in the bench that's, you know, two foot wide for 20 people to use every single day. If you find that opportunity on your farm, show the farm how much you care by addressing that facility issue. Same thing with your mortality drops. Right. If you don't have a good asset set up today, don't constantly harp on your people for their lack of execution. 
look yourself in the mirror, right? Be very strict on yourself and be a little bit forgiving with your employees and assume there's maybe a reason why they're not doing it the way you want them to do it. And that reason could be more than they just don't care, right? Look for the facility issues, ask them for feedback about why they don't do it the right way and what the barriers are that you can help to remove. Good information for us for a lot of different areas, but definitely for biosecurity. So uh, Dr. Clayton Johnson from Carthage Vet Services, we appreciate you taking time today to visit with us about biosecurity. Very good. Thanks, Barb. It's always great to catch up with you. Thank you for listening to Schick Talk from the Swine Health Information Center. Learn more about our organization and our mission to protect the health of the U.S. swine herd at www.swinehealth.org.